Hey, what a great song and what a great tribute to that song. Thanks to our gifted and creative team for putting that together. Who shed a tear? That's what I want to know. Who shed a tear through the playing of that video a moment ago? I know that I did. And uh, hey, a big welcome to all of you. We are so glad that you have come out to join us today. Uh, whether you call yourself a, a part of the, of the Genesis Church family or maybe you're uh, tuning in online today with us for the very first time, we want to say welcome. We are so glad to have you here and happy Easter uh, to all of you. Hey, how many of you have ever been the guest of honor at a surprise birthday party? Um, I have. Uh, and for me, it was when I was 16 years old, a group of my closest friends uh, threw a party for me. But can I let you in on a little secret? And I got to say that if any of my high school friends are uh, watching today here online, you're going to have to forgive me because I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but I knew about it. Uh, I knew about the party. I found out about it. I was at a friend's house a couple of weeks before uh, my birthday. We were in his kitchen, and right there on the refrigerator was the invitation to my surprise birthday party. Now, luckily, my friend didn't see it, and so I kind of let it pass by. And, uh, but man, I felt guilty for seeing it. And uh, because I love my friends and I was honored that they were going to all this work to throw a party for me, um, I just played along. Well, wouldn't you know it, a couple of weeks later, my my birthday came around, a small group of us uh, went to the high school football game that night, and my friend was driving us home afterwards, and instead of going to my house, he suggested that we stop by another friend's house. Now, of course, I'm just playing along at this point, because I pretty much suspect what's going down here, and just as I thought, we walked into my friend's house, and this huge group of friends all shouted surprise, wishing me a happy 16th birthday. Would you like to see a couple of pictures uh, from that night? And uh, these aren't the best quality photos, but uh, just remember this is back from the 1900s. But there's yours truly, uh, white turtleneck and all. I'm wearing my Air Jordan sweatshirt there. I've got my uh, white washed jeans on. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you only had one person uh, come to your party, only one friend, Paul. That's not true. This next uh, picture just shows you that great collection of uh, some of my very best friends. And again, all the work that they went to, uh, through uh, to throw this party for me. Now, here, here's the thing about this party. Like, even though I knew about it, uh, even though I saw that it was coming, it didn't make it any less special. In fact, I think in some strange way, I appreciated even more uh, knowing what my friends went through to celebrate me on this special day. Let me ask you another question here and uh, be honest with yourself if you would. You ever get a little numb to Easter? I mean, it, it comes around every year, and uh, if you've grown up in church, if you've grown up around faith, like, you know the story. I, I guess I'm just saying that if we're not careful, Easter can easily become one more holiday on the calendar, and we just race right by it and on to the next. But here's what I'm thinking for today. And in light of everything that we've got going on in our world right now, that even though we know the story, and even though it comes around every year, it doesn't make it any less special. In fact, I wonder if in some strange way, I, I wonder if what God wants to do in each of us today, and when I say that, I mean every person and really every church around the world is, 
is ignite something new in our lives, like something to help us see and understand the truth and power of Easter like we never have before, that, that, that even though we can't be together this year, and uh, even though you can't be with extended family, or even though some of your traditions are going to have to be put on hold or set aside until next year, here's what I want you to know that I'm praying for you today, praying for each of us. And this is true whether you call yourself a believer or you call yourself a skeptic or somewhere in between. That somehow this Easter will be unlike anything you've ever experienced in your life. So much so that you might look back one day on this date or you might look back on this season of quarantine and be able to say, you know what, it was during that season that something changed in my life and I will never again be the same. But in order for that to happen, here's what I need you to do. I I need you to lean into this story with me for the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, Don't just sit on the sidelines. I'm asking that every one of you, every one of us listening today, that you would open yourself up to the possibility that God wants to begin something new, to ignite something in your life, even here right now. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, uh, or if you have access to one online, maybe through the YouVersion app or Bible Gateway, I want to invite you to turn in the New Testament to John chapter 3 with me for a few minutes. And I want to introduce you to a man who really, when you think about it, got caught on the sidelines. Uh, But somehow the events of Easter uh, ignited something in him, something that that, that he just said, you know, it, it couldn't hold him back any longer. This guy's name is Nicodemus. And if you've been around church or if you know a little of his story, we don't usually talk about him at Easter. And the interesting thing, though, about Nicodemus is that if not for him, Jesus might not have emerged from a tomb, but rather, more likely, a garbage dump. And I'll explain more about that in just a moment. But let's spend a few minutes in John chapter 3. It's here that we read about an encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. And just to give you some context, this is many months before Jesus died on the cross. John chapter 3, a disciple of Jesus, John, he records these words for us. Here's what he writes. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now the Pharisees represented the most strict conservative and traditional sect of the times. They, they separated from themselves from anything that was non-Jewish and they were very careful to follow every detail of the Old Testament law. And for those reasons, you could say that they were really experts or trying to be experts at being good. Now, while many of the Pharisees were irritated by Jesus, uh, it doesn't mean that they were all enemies of him either because while Jesus debated many of them, he also shared meals with them and he went into their homes. In fact, the Pharisees often get a bad rap. But like those following Jesus, they were just trying to understand God. They were trying to make sense of life too. Kind of like many of us tuning in today. Uh, Maybe this would describe you. I mean, as you even listen here right now today, I mean, we're all trying to make sense of life, right? And everything that's going on in the world right now, trying to understand what all of this means and trying to understand God's part in it all at the same time, that's Nicodemus. That's the Pharisees. And I want to give you a word, a word that I think best describes or summarizes what the Pharisees taught and promoted. And I think it can be wrapped up in the word behavior. The word behavior. You see, for the Pharisees, right behavior is how you get right with God. Following the rules, following the regulations is how you make peace with God. And so that's the Pharisees. And Nicodemus is one of them. 
And now enter Jesus. And he's performing miracles and people are drawn to his teachings on things like love and forgiveness and purpose and, and, and getting right with God. And he's not following the so-called rules either. And that agitated many of the Pharisees. Nicodemus, however, was curious. And so Nicodemus arranges this little meeting with Jesus. Verse 2. John writes that he, that Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, I want you to notice that Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night. Why? Well, it's risky. And Nicodemus, his reputation is on the line here, but I think he's been watching Jesus from the sidelines, and he just knows that there's something different about him. And I wonder if he's about to ask Jesus a question, but before he can get his question out, Jesus replied to him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now I think Jesus has an idea here of what is on Nicodemus' mind. And so the question Jesus answers before Nicodemus even has a chance to ask is much like this one. How do you make sense of life and of God? How do you put these two together? And again, remember, Nicodemus is a part of a group whose whole belief system is built on doing all the right things. Basically, keep the rules, keep God happy. But now Jesus comes along with this message about being born again, which must have confused Nicodemus as much as it might be puzzling to some of you right now. And so in verse 4, he asks, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And so Nicodemus is trying to figure out how you can physically be born again. That's not weird to think about. But, but Jesus isn't talking about a physical rebirth here. He's talking about a spiritual one. Because the words born again can also be translated born from above. You see, Jesus is describing a new way of life. A one where God is the center of it all. He's also talking about a new family. A family that will be known by things like love and grace and hope and purpose. And, and Jesus says that anyone is invited to be a part of it. But it doesn't just happen. Like you have to be born again in this new birth. It's not something you or I can, can accomplish on our own. It comes from above. It's the result of the work of God. And so Jesus is dismantling everything that Nicodemus has ever believed. In essence, saying that it's not about behaving. Jesus says, it's not about just your behavior, Nicodemus. And, and just as you can't behave your way into any physical family, you can't behave your way into the family of God. And I know this might raise all sorts of questions for you. For some of you, even right now, maybe this spiritual truth, these words of Jesus, have the potential of undoing some things you've always thought about yourself or always thought about God. You see, it's, all, it's easy for us to think all these different things about God. It's easy for us to think of, uh, of how God is much like, a, let's just use the example, a school principal. And if you think about God like that, if you see God like that, then maybe thinking about God means slowly making your way down the hallway to his office because of all the bad choices that you've made in life or uh, the chaos you've created in, in your relationships or the, the list of failures that have accumulated throughout your life. Maybe, maybe when you see God, when you think about God, you, you can't help but see a God who's greatly disappointed in you. 
Or, or maybe there was a time in your life that you worked so hard to repair and to fix and undo every wrong thing that you've ever done, but you gave up, convinced that surely God had given up on you. I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of trying to please God that way, trying to, to, to make following Jesus all about the right behavior and all about the rules. And if I follow the rules, then God will be happy with me only to get frustrated every single time that I fail. I think that's a little bit of what Nicodemus is trying to figure out. But now, Jesus is opening the door to a new way. He's talking about a new type of transformation that's not the result of how good we are. It's not the result of what we can accomplish for ourselves, but that a transformation that is available to us solely because of how good God is. That's what Jesus is explaining here, but Nicodemus is struggling to understand it. And so he asked, he asked Jesus, how can this be? That's the question I'm tempted to ask every time I try and turn on a St. Louis Cardinals baseball game right now. You know, no baseball. Like, how can this be? But Nicodemus, he spent his entire life trying to get right with God, trying to earn God's favor with his behavior. And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, your, your behavior ain't going to cut it. It's not going to get the work done. Skip over a few verses with me. In John chapter 3, Jesus continues. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Jesus said to him, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, these are some curious words, but hang with me for just a second because Jesus is pointing back to an important event from Jewish history, something that had happened hundreds of years before. As a Jewish teacher, Nicodemus would have studied this. He would have taught this. He would have understood what Jesus is referring to here. Uh, it's recorded for us in the Old Testament book of Numbers, Numbers 21, 6 through 9 to be exact, where we find the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and God sent a plague of snakes to punish the people for their rebellious ways. But he also provided a remedy, a remedy for the poisonous snake bites. He told Moses, he instructed Moses to set up a pole and to attach a bronze snake to the top of it so that those who had been bitten by a poisonous snake could look up at the pole and be healed by believing that God could heal them. Now, I imagine that Nicodemus' head is about to explode at this point. First, the talk of rebirth. Now, Jesus is talking about being lifted up like a snake. Like, what does all of this mean? Well, maybe Jesus sensed some of Nicodemus' confusion, and so his next words are so much more direct, and they might sound familiar to you, even if you don't spend a lot of time around the Bible or the church, you just might not have realized that these words come from this encounter. Look at what Jesus says to Nicodemus next. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Basically, what Jesus explains is this, that Nicodemus, it's not about behavior. It instead has everything to do with believing. It's not about your behavior. It's about your believing. And really, what it boils down to is this, that the key, Jesus says, the key to salvation, the key to forgiveness and eternal life is through believing in the power of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be born again. 
This is how you become a part of God's family. This is what we mean when we say the good news. And it was true for Nicodemus and all those then. And it's true for us. And it's true for you even today. Now this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is going to come to an end. And for now, Nicodemus will remain on the sidelines. But there's no doubt that he will eventually uh, encounter even more, so much so that it's going to cause him to have to make a choice. Fast forward with me, if you would, to what we call Holy Week. And while many celebrated Jesus in that final week of his life, there were many that hated him as well. And those that hated him devised a plan to take his life. History indicates that there were as many as 3,000 Pharisees at any given time. And I tell you that just so that you keep in mind that it wasn't like Nicodemus was one of a few. But I can only imagine that he struggled as he watched his colleagues, these Pharisees and others, advance this campaign to arrest Jesus. And while I'm sure Nicodemus didn't condone it, he was likely forced to watch as Jesus was arrested, as he was tortured, as he was crucified on the cross and left for dead. And what did Nicodemus think as he looked at the cross? I'm sure that he experienced many different emotions from confusion. I think there were emotions of, of, of conflict and what he could have done and certainly the regrets that stem from that. I, I'm sure that he was devastated like so many others. Any of all of these things could describe where he was. And yet, something happens to Nicodemus as he watched Jesus die. As he looked at Jesus up on the cross, maybe he recalled these words. Again, that Jesus spoke in John chapter 3, that just as Moses lifted up in the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Man, was that the moment? Again, as Nicodemus looked at the cross, that it all came together for him. Like, was that the moment that all of the pieces, that everything that Jesus ever said, that it all began to make sense, that the key to life, Nicodemus wondered, the key to being right with God is not what we can do for ourselves. Like, the key to making sense of life, the key to getting right with God is believing and trusting what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. I mean, all we know is that something happened in Nicodemus, something so significant that the disciple John records details for us immediately following Jesus' death. Check this out in John chapter 19. If you turn there, John chapter 19, starting in verse 38, John records this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Next slide. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now Nicodemus and a friend, a guy that John calls Joseph of Arimathea, they go to the local Roman leader, Pilate, the guy who was responsible for anything and everything that happened and took place in Jerusalem, and they boldly ask for Jesus' dead body. Now why is it bold? Well, normally... All right, normally guys like Jesus that died on a cross were left to rot there on the cross or if they were lucky, their bodies were thrown into the local garbage dump. 
But these guys, Nicodemus, they want to give Jesus a proper burial. And so notice that John says that Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices for burial, which was the amount that you would use to embalm an important person, someone like a king. And then pick it up in verse 40. It says, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid before. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. You know, when you think about it, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, Nicodemus would have known about it. He would have been able to spread the word to tell anyone who said otherwise. But Jesus did die. And Nicodemus experienced the cross and the burial with his own eyes and with his own hands. And not only the cross, but the very first Easter too. And what was that like? Like what was that like when the news reached him? What was that like seeing the resurrected Jesus with his very own eyes? You know, we don't know a lot or anything else really about Nicodemus from the Bible after this. But sources outside the Bible claim that after the resurrection, he forfeited his position as a Pharisee, was banished from Jerusalem, and spent the rest of the days of his life following Jesus and every day demonstrating what it means to live a born-again life in this world. And for us, it's been 2,000 years now since Jesus died and rose from the dead. And notice that we're still talking about him. And who else? Who else has commanded so much attention, so much conversation for that length of history? Friends, there is something special about the person of Jesus Christ. And I guess what you have to decide today is, what does it mean to you? What does the resurrected Jesus mean to you? And even if, even if you can't bring yourself to believe the cross or to believe that the resurrection is true, I would say to you this morning that wouldn't you want to be able to say that it's true? Shouldn't you want it to be true? Like what could it mean to know that there's a God, a, a God that loves us, loves us enough to send his own son to pay a price that you or I could never pay on our own. And not just so that we could go to heaven one day, but also an invitation to live your life in a way that brings hope and good to everyone else in this world. What if it's true? You should want it to be true. For others of you, maybe you got a little Nicodemus in you and you've been curious about God for some time and and with everything that's going on in our world right now, you're asking more questions than you've ever asked before. And, and maybe right now, maybe God is undoing some things you've always thought about yourself. You've always thought about him trying to earn his love. Friends, remember, it's not about behavior. It's through believing that we are born. Look at these words one more time from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's about believing. It's choosing today to believe. It's choosing to trust God and to trust his love. And, and it doesn't matter who you are. God's not upset with you. He's not given up on you. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. 
Jesus Christ, his son, gave his life for you. And that just means that with Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear tomorrow. You don't have to fear COVID-19 or, or a financial recession or anything like that because Jesus is alive and you can trust him. You can make a decision to trust him with your life today. And finally, I'll say this before I pray. I just wanna say this to anyone who calls themselves a Christian, but maybe, maybe you've been hanging out on the sidelines of sorts with your faith. Friends, it's Easter. The risen Jesus is better than anything we could ever imagine or hope for. And friends, right now our world is in shock. And there are people around you that are terrified and trying to make sense of everything going on. And you and I know the hope. Like we know the hope, we know the answer. There is a remedy to the problem of pain and suffering in this world and to all the struggles and his name is Jesus Christ, our savior. And I just pray that you would let today change you, that you would let the power of this good news of, of the resurrection change you, to let the, the power of the cross and the empty tomb radically change your life forever. Will you pray with me? And as I, I pray today, I just, I, I wanna start by thinking about those of you right now that have never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ with your life. And maybe today is the day that you're gonna do just that, to put your faith in him, to believe in him, to make a decision in your own heart that I wanna trust Jesus with all of my life. Man, you can do that wherever you are right now. Uh, even in your own words, just to pray, Lord Jesus, I, I want you to be a part of my life. I am putting my faith in you. I am trusting you with all of my past mistakes and sins and for your forgiveness for my life. And if, if you're making a decision like that, I, I hope you won't keep that in secret. Uh, maybe there's a friend that invited you to watch today that you can share that news with. There's an opportunity for you on church online right now to, to make a decision for Christ or to post something uh, through Facebook or send us an email at info at genesischurch.me. We'd love to talk with you, celebrate with you and helping you in next steps. Well, let me just continue as we pray. Father, do something in each of us today. For those that have great questions, the those that maybe would call themselves a, a skeptic today, Lord, that you would create a curiosity in them to keep seeking more. And, and for those of us that have put our faith and trust in you and have been born again, I pray that you would use uh, this Easter and the reminder of these great events to radically change our lives and our church forever. We want to take the name of Jesus as the hope of the world to all people. We know that you've given us the mission of helping people find their way back to God. Ignite something in us today, in each of us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.